Welcome back to the See For Yourself podcast, the only podcast where we have an entire dimension dedicated to imprisoning our enemies. I am your host for today, Sizzle Wizzle Bizzle Brizzle. I am I'm joined with... Oh, God. Uh, I don't forget? know. Did you I forget? Did my what you do? <laughs> I did. I did until just this minute. Shit. Uh, fuck. Quick. Uh, I don't know, man. God, I've never been so off guard in my life. A bottle of ketchup, man. I'm a bottle of ketchup. <laughs> You know, I had put so much thought into my name for this episode that I had started throwing away perfectly good ideas. <laughs> I was like, oh man, I should go on as Michael Roch. And then like a, a keen-eyed listener would be like, Michael Roch, if you shorten Michael down to just Mike, that's Mike Roch. Oh God. Yeah, as soon as soon as you started announcing yourself, I was like, oh my God. Oh, that's right. Shit. I, I, I had like heard a really good name earlier this week and I was going to use it, but you, I, nothing. I've got nothing. Uh, it's okay. A bottle of ketchup is probably better than sizzle, whizzle, bizzle, grizzle. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> does, it, does it feel like a fucking train coming right at you as I'm like saying it? You're just like, oh, fuck, fuck. Yeah, I, I started panicking. I was just whatever I had around me, and I didn't have anything. Like, oh uh, god, that family. I said, like, it's I'm P tier uh, Griffin. Uh, I, I I had nothing. <laughs> I'm so sorry to put you through this. Uh, <laughs> but um, on the on the plus side, we have a seamless transition uh, from alternate dimensions into. Uh, what the movie for today is that the movie for today is going to be the 2022 Hellraiser, uh, the newest in the Hellraiser line, and I believe this is number 11. Is there that many? Of uh, strictly speaking, of uh, feature length Hellraiser movies, only the feature length Hellraiser movies. There are licensed short films for Hellraiser that have existed. Um, I didn't know any of this. I thought there was only like uh, three or four of them. Cause I, I fucking, I didn't really watch them in their entirety, but I remember like seeing one and then knowing there was a second one. And then for some reason I thought the one where it's Hellraiser in space was like the fourth one. So I, I guess there's a third one in there somewhere. That's all I know about Hellraiser. I do think that the uh, Hellraiser in space, or at least God, cause I know that there's a Hellraiser movie that ends with them on space, but it's not like, it doesn't totally take place in space. Um, and I actually really like the one that, like, the ending of it is just Hellraiser in space. I do like that movie, and apparently a lot of people don't. <laughs> I mean, um, that makes sense. I guess that would make sense. Like I said, I'm not too boned up on, on Hellraiser, so it would make sense if there was one where they go to space, and then the other one, the one after that, is just them in space. Because for some reason, I felt like that was a... Having not paid attention to the series at all, I was like, oh yes, this is the moment where the shark has been jumped. They're like, oh, we're doing the puzzle box, but it's a giant space station now, and it's like, ooh... I do think, so in my mind, the transition to that is not entirely unwarranted. There does seem to be a sort of weird trend with these like slasher horror movies where they go to space for some reason. <laughs> So it's not entirely out of the like the norm, out of the like out of the trend. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people felt the same way, where they're like, "Oh, once one of these types of movies goes to space, the whole fucking franchise goes to shit after that." And uh, speaking as a person who has like done a fair degree of you know loving the Hellraiser franchise, uh, I can say that there are sort of like these weird ebbs and flows of quality throughout the eleven movie history of Hellraiser. And unfortunately, for the last like. 
I don't know, like three movies, I think. It has just been all stinkers. So just to give the quick blurb for this movie, and but Hellraiser is one of those franchises that doesn't really need a whole lot of, uh, you know, preamble to it, I guess. And even as I'm saying that, I'm realizing we literally just talked about how in one movie they went to space. And I know there's like another movie where it's all about Hellraiser, but the internet. There's there's all kinds of different Hellraiser movies and they do get pretty wacky and wild. So maybe the blurb will tell us, and neither of us have seen this movie. So the blurb reads, a young woman must confront the sadistic supernatural forces behind an enigmatic puzzle box responsible for her brother's disappearance. I, I know that like I edit these, uh, these blurbs before reading them to you to try to like conceal some amount of information. But with movies that I also haven't seen, I can't really do that. But that has got to be one of the most vague, uh, <laughs> one of the most vague descriptions of a movie ever. So here, here's my thoughts on it. Cause Hellra Hellraiser has been around for a while and I feel like if some of the movies that some of the newer movies we've watched recently are anything of an indicator, I think it's it's vague because this is just going to be Hellraiser again. So you think we're going to get the the soft reboot treatment, huh? Or do you think it'll be a, it'll be a hard reboot where it's like it's being vague because we're doing holistically new shit with this? No, I, I don't think it's going to be anything new. Like I think it's like I think visually it's going to be a little bit different, but the, you know what? Yeah, so the the soft reboot thing where it's it's gonna be iconically Hellraiser, but there's there's just gonna be something a little bit different about it. I had mentioned this movie to you because I just saw like the ad for it, like streaming on Hulu, and the the main character pinhead person there j just looked different. Like I I remember him being like you know the tall figure in the black trench coat and the face. This one seemed almost like softer features, like it could have been Lady Hellraiser. I, I'll go ahead and let you know that uh, pinhead in this. Uh, Hellraiser movie is a, a female actress. Well, there you go. That That's going to be the reboot. So hold on, hold on. I, I just want to clarify really quick. And I, I, I do want to say the only reason I know that is because of like different commercials and, and things like that. I haven't, I haven't seen the movie. I'm just saying what like promotional material that we always allow people to use uh, going into this podcast. I just want to clarify. Are you saying that this is going to be, because the first Hellraiser, I, I, I think people would argue it's a pretty problematic film. <laughs> is it? Yeah, by today's standards, there's a couple things in there that are uh, not, uh, they don't they don't translate well to a 2022 lens. Are you specifically saying that this new Hellraiser movie is going to be Hellraiser, but we're talking about like feminine issues and feminine things? Or is it just, hey, we've got a girl playing Pinhead in this one? Yeah, I think it would be nice if that's what it was, but I do think it's just going to be Hellraiser, but Pinhead's a girl. I do think Hellraiser lends itself pretty well to discussing various problems between the sexes and whatnot. I think that that's a cool thing that Hellraiser is equipped to discuss. You know that the uh, this is sort of like a, a little bit of behind the scenes maybe, but the actor who played Pinhead originally had played Pinhead for a very, very long time. He continued to play Pinhead for most of the movies that exist for the Hellraiser franchise. That's neat. Uh, and he's still alive today, and he's still acting today, but he has openly said that he will not do another Hellraiser movie uh, unless the script is just right. Interesting. So I've, I've heard you talk about Hellraiser before, specifically in in the sense that like um, it was like like the, these uh, extra dimensional beings or whatever. It's like this is the they're from the BDSM planet or whatever. And so it's like, no, you've, you've summoned us here to to do the uh, the kinky pain thing with you. I, I don't understand why you're screaming and running away. And I thought that was interesting because um like i said i haven't really watched any of them and i just thought it was like weird horror gore but when you explained it like that i suddenly got like way more interested in seeing one of these so i was glad that they came out with a new one we did have a hellraiser movie not too long ago i think it was 2017 was hellraiser judgment 
And Hellraiser Judgment, it was one of those, it wasn't a soft reboot in the sense of like, we're just going to make the same you know, movie is the first one, but it's set in 2022 instead of being set in 1980. That's the only difference, really. It's basically the same movie, beat for beat. Uh, the characters are just a little updated, which it seems like you're suggesting might be the case here. The original Hellraiser, the main character is a female character. So we've already had the description of the movie where the main character is a, a female. So it's, it's very possible. But Hellraiser Judgment didn't do that. It focused more on police officers and on like the idea of sin and feeling guilty for your sins and being judged for your sins. And then I had a big tie-in at the end where Pinhead shows up and he hadn't been in the movie until this point. And he does some kick-ass pinhead stuff. And then he um, has like a discussion with an angel. And the angel's like, hey, up in heaven dimension, question mark, we don't like the things that you're doing. Pinhead's like, yep, but uh, I'm from the hell dimension and we're cool with what we're doing. Which runs counter to what we've like learned about uh, Hellraiser in the past. So originally, and I to sort of reiterate what I've already spoken with you about. So basically the first movie sort of sets up this idea that there is a pleasure dimension. And the pleasure dimension is where all of the Cenobites, you know, Pinhead and all of his creepy ghoulie guys come from. And they do not have a differentiation between regular pleasure as we experience it here in our dimension and pain. Pain and, and pleasure are the exact same thing. They both just feel really, really good. Uh, or not the exact same thing. Rather, that instead of feeling pain when you like mutilate yourself or hurt yourself in some way, you just feel pleasure instead. So a lot of people in, you know, modern readings of the films see the Cenobite characters not as villains, but just as people who are like, hey, we're here to, you know, take you to the pleasure dimension because you solved our little box. And that's what people, when you solve the box, it lets you come to the pleasure dimension with us and you get to live in the heights of ecstasy with us because that's what we're doing. Look at all of our cool things that we do to show how much we love pleasure. I have these nails in my head. We know that to be something that's like gruesome and grotesque because it looks like it hurts a lot. But on their, in their dimension, they're like, no, that just means... He's really getting that pleasure going. Good for him. And that's what their culture and that's what their people are all about. And what I would suggest to you as, as we were talking about these movies is that it'd be really, really cool to just have a movie sort of exploring the Cenobites culture and how like it's different than ours strictly on the basis of pain is pleasure as well. That one difference. And, and with people being so open-minded about multiverse theory nowadays, I think that that movie would be pretty easy to swallow. Yeah, if anything like that, you're not really describing a horror movie to me or anything like that. And I, I, I think that would be a neat bin on the whole thing. Because as far as I'm aware, every, every one of these Hellraiser movies is they come through the dimension and everybody's horrified by them. And then uh, something happens, they go back to their, their dimension and, and the day is saved. You know, looking at them not as villains and just like having them be, I don't know, there's something amusing about about that to me to have them be you know the the fucking me was like why are you running <laughs> just having them react like that it's like I, I don't i don't at all understand why you're throwing things at me this is really uncalled for and you should grow up or or even like when they're like running away and they're throwing things at them they're like oh ah 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 oh my you hitting me with that book you just threw really that was lovely thank you uh, <laughs> <laughs> so old-fashioned we never even thought and then like maybe one of them picks it up and like runs a finger down one of the pages and gets a paper cut and like oh these things are wonderful <laughs> <laughs> i never i never would even consider using a book this way this is magnificent and then they're just hitting each other in the face with books and they're like oh lovely <laughs> <laughs> oh god another instance of see for yourself doing it better this is a brilliant movie we're making with that like lens in mind there's some really good room here for a cool slapstick comedy movie right um, <laughs> i know that rick and morty had an episode where they had 
they were kind of lampooning the Hellraiser franchise in a very similar way. And they, they kind of focus on like the, the comedy in that comes from like the gore and that like pain is also pleasure and like how logically that can be kind of confusing. You tell someone that they're attractive and that makes them feel good. But then, you know, they see you telling someone else that they're attractive. And so you feel kind of like not good about that because now they're being nice to somebody else instead of you. But then because you don't feel good about it, now you do feel good. <laughs> Like, oh Jesus! Uh, that's kind of the like the way that they went with the joke, but I I feel like the physical comedy angle of this is just so irresistible to me. It's it's so fucking rife for for even simple jokes like that. Right, all all the things that like God, they're, they're just like oh, and this is my special room, and you open the door, and it's just the fucking the floor is covered in Legos. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Some like like can you imagine just like a like a meet the parents kind of situation where like the main character guy is just like dating this like cute goth girl or whatever and he thinks that's just like her aesthetic or whatever and then he meets her parents and they're all the Cenobites oh god (laughs) and they're like come on son I want to show you you know uh, something really interesting we've been working on at the family and it's just like a back backyard pool or something and he's like oh that's nice you guys have a pool that's cool i like pools and they're like no 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 you don't understand and they like show him like if you just go underneath the water long enough your lungs can't get in air and that really hurts (laughs) it's it's very profound and different than you know anything that you know so a couple of dirty dogs like you and me are used to huh buddy (laughs) like like the dad's just trying to bond with the with the boyfriend guy i think that movie could be fucking fun (laughs) i I don't understand why nobody's like pitched this yet because is it really that common for for people to see this and be like oh no these aren't these aren't villains if this is the common reading that that they're not actually just villains why do we why do we have 11 movies depicting them as villains when we could be having this slapstick meet the fuckers but they're they're (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they're goth BDSM freaks. I, I love the idea of this as a potentially wonderful comedy movie, but in my mind, uh, I like to be like, well, if I ever become a super famous director and they come to me and they're like, hey, we have this franchise that's not doing super well. How do you fix it? What do you do to like make this a good series now? And Hellraiser is one of the ones that came to mind after Judgment had come out. And I just thought that that movie wasn't particularly good. And it's the wrong way to go with the uh, Hellraiser franchise to try to turn it into heaven versus hell kind of thing i don't i don't think that's a very interesting thing it's just gonna end up being like big stupid cgi fight scenes that nobody wants to fucking see right i do think that we could go back to the roots of a hellraiser movie and i'd really like to see this play out because the original hellraiser movie sort of played with things that were considered very taboo at the time like in the 1980s if your wife was you know, having sex with another man, that was like, whoa, crazy. And now it's like, there are people who are husband and wife that have mistresses and, and, and whatnot. And that's like a casual, normal thing now. Pretty much unspeakable in the 1980s, I imagine, for most film going audiences. Something that's like really in the public eye, especially after, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey made it like the standard for white people everywhere, is the idea of like, I don't know, light BDSM, I guess, right? And obviously, you know, when, once people start getting into light BDSM, you know, it's the gateway drug of, of kinky sex and suddenly you're starting to do all kinds of crazy or people are offering you all kinds of crazy more intense BDSM practices. I think that a Hellraiser movie could cover the sort of 
fears and anxieties surrounding being pressured into more intense sexual play in a way that is specifically sort of horrific. And horror movies have a long-standing tradition of using sex as a through line of horror. And whether that's like in the Friday the 13th tradition of like anybody who has sex is going to get killed. Or if it's like in The Fly where it was like, hey, what if you got an STD? That'd be gross, right? Sex is oftentimes used in horror films to sort of try to scare people. And I think that one of the ways that we haven't tried to be scared is the anxiety revolving around consent and playing with the idea of, well, if you're in a BDSM situation that you're uncomfortable with and you have anxiety about, you know, you were okay with some light spanking or like hair pulling, but now you're being like tied up and the guy's got like this whip and you got a ball gag in your mouth and you can't like really express outwardly, you know, the fears associated with that, that I think that people who aren't into that, but are being now pressured into it as a result of things like Fifty Shades of Grey. I've talked to a handful of people who have expressed that outwardly. They're like, yeah, it's hard for me to, you know, my husband divorced me and now I'm back on the dating scene, but it seems like all guys want to do is that Fifty Shades of Grey stuff and I'm not into that. And maybe that's just because I'm from like conservative Georgia and whatnot. And a lot of people were never educated on more diverse sexual fantasies and sexual role-playing and whatnot. And they just thought, you know, you sit down with your husband, you read a couple verses from the Bible and you make a child. That's what sex is. And now, you know, having to face a more diverse sexual lexicon from potential suitors is really terrifying for them. It's, it's scary. I, I don't know why I'm fixated on this, but you mentioned that the first movie was just not, did, didn't age well or something like that. What did you mean by that? So, okay. So the first movie has uh, some rapey, incesty type stuff where uh, the main villain is this guy who's just like, he's a real big deviant, you know? And one of the things he wants to do is bang it out with his brother's wife, which he does, and it's kind of implied that it starts off as like a rape kind of thing, and then it ends up she likes it, so it's not rape anymore, question mark. Uh, his his brother's daughter, who is not the daughter of this woman, I think he had this daughter with a previous partner, is a, is a big sex object for this this villainous character, and he kind of like tries to, he's, he's trying to have sex with her. There's a lot of weird sexy stuff in the first Hellraiser movie that I think that if you just did like a one-for-one copy of it today, it would be not looked upon as kindly as it was at the time. That's fair. I think there's an argument both ways for this. Maybe more people would, if it was handled appropriately, more people would be like, oh yeah, that is a weird thing that some people are into and it's you know, I'm not trying to kink shame here, so it's totally okay to include in the movie. Who knows? I don't know. Obviously, Hollywood writers are much better at this than you or I, but uh, I uh, I do think that a one-for-one one copy of the original Hellraiser would be problematic. I know that in Hellraiser 2, it's revealed that Pinhead was like a, uh, he was like a soldier in World War One or World War Two, and I, I don't remember if he was like a British soldier or if he was a Nazi. I can't remember to save my life. I don't know. But a lot of people, I think, I think maybe the confusion surrounding that, like people didn't know for sure that he was like a British soldier or if he was a Nazi, or maybe a lot of people just saw like World War II looking uniform and thought Nazi. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. A lot of people didn't really love that about Hellraiser 2, even though Hellraiser 2 is a great sequel. It does a really cool job of like expanding on the first film and going into sort of like uncharted territory and doing just generally cool stuff. And it brings back the girl from the first movie, which I really enjoy. I like seeing the, the, the original actress getting to return. Well, Pinhead in this one's going to be played by a female actress, and I, I had mentioned 
and I don't think it's going to play up as much. But the more you talk about Hellraiser, the more it feels like they're trying to do something besides like freaky sex demon stuff. Like, is this just going to be like a a role reversal of how it's been previously where I don't know where I'm going with that. I'd like to see them do something with it. I would like to say this is not the first time we have had uh, like a female Cenobite character, like an actual character who is a female Cenobite. I believe that that takes place in Hellraiser 3 for the first time. So we've, we've had that in the past. We've never had a female Pinhead specifically. It's hard to really see the value of making Pinhead a, uh, a female character. It's not one of those situations like we've talked about in the past where I think that it like changes everything to have Pinhead be a woman now. I think he is one of those characters who can just be easily turned into a woman and that's fine. Uh, other than the aspect of he fought in World War II or, and or World War One, he fought in one of the World Wars. And even that like part of his character is pretty like you have to have been watching the Hellraiser movies and paying attention and like following that because they don't bring it up every single fucking chance they get. Right, because that, that doesn't sound critical to the to the role, really. I think they literally bring it up in that one movie and maybe one more time other than that. They heard everybody talking about how they're not really villains and they're like, no, 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 he's definitely a villain. Look, Nazi. <laughs> Honestly, there's a good chance that's exactly what it was. Like somebody was just like, no, they're misunderstood. They're kind of cool. And like, this is neat. And they're like, in the next movie, let's make them a Nazi. <laughs> Fuck yeah. There we go. That problem solved. Nobody would ever sympathize with the Nazis, right? Oh boy. You, you naive soul. Another note for Hellraiser 2, by the way, I believe it is one of the only times the regular human person transformed into a Cenobite. Yeah, I was just about to ask that because if the Cenobites themselves as a species or whatever, like just experience pain differently or they only experience pleasure, but the but the Nazi guy becomes one? Like, is it, is it a property of the dimension? You just go there and eventually lose your pain receptors? Uh, no, there is like a process and this is when we're getting into sort of the deep uh of Hellraiser 2. And I think Hellraiser 2 has a secondary title. It's like Hellraiser 2 Hellbound. <laughs> I don't know. But they go to the pleasure dimension and it's just t- terrifying looking, which, you know, I imagine, you know, if you're like, hey, everything's pleasure, inc- including pain, then why wouldn't you make everything out of spikes? <laughs> right. Which I, I love as like a like somebody was like, hey, we have to design the pleasure dimension, but the pleasure dimension is pain is also pleasure. Uh, and they're just like, yeah, just make everything pointy as fuck. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, Legos everywhere is the answer. Yeah, everything's just made out of Legos. So if you bump into a wall, bam, just a puddle of pleasure in front of you. But yeah, so there's this, there's this, the god of the uh, pleasure dimension is called the, uh, the, the Leviathan. It's sort of this really weird conceptual thing uh, that they don't do a whole lot of, they don't take a whole lot of time to explain it really. But they do show the process of uh, someone being turned into a Cenobite. And it's like, it's basically you're like horribly like maimed uh, over and over again until your body just like gets used to it maybe i don't know but like they show the process of like someone getting like nails driven through their skull and so on and so forth whatever thing happens to you to make you the cenobite that you are because each of them has like a cool little thing that like makes makes them what they are basically are are there any other cenobites that you can like dream up in your head just looks really gross to look at and like you think might be like a cool thing to include in the in the movie i'm trying i'm I'm trying here because like i do remember that there was i saw the scene where it was introducing the other two cenobites or whatever but i can't remember what they what they look like so there is a female cenobite who gets like not a whole lot to do unfortunately she's 
more of like a background character. She has like a couple of lines, but you know, like Jack Black in Waterworld. And she has her throat sort of like opened up and like her trachea is like kind of just on display at all times. And that's, you know, pretty gross. And she has some weird like metal barbs coming out of her like shoulders that seem to be like piercing her in some way. And she touches her little trachea thingy sometimes. And that's a lot to look at. Um, (laughs) And then there's, uh, there's like the guy with the chattering teeth. Uh, His like teeth are exposed like that of some sort of rat. And they're just like, they're just chattering a bunch. His whole mouth is sort of like just exposed in that way. And his like eyes are covered up somehow. And his like face just looks like a burn victim's face. He has like probably one of the best scenes in the original Hellraiser, or maybe this is Hellraiser 2, I can't remember. But he sticks his fingers inside of the girl's like mouth. And it's very like invasive and a lot to see uh, happening to like the good girl, the, the, the heroine of the film, you know, where he just like gets in her like that that's a lot <laughs> no i get that uh, i'm trying god I, I keep on coming back to this being like a comedy movie and it's like uh and then they pan over to the fourth cinnabite and it's just some normal looking chick it's like all right well but what's your thing and she's like have you ever tried to wear a corset and these heels are killer <laughs> <laughs> Everything about like fashion for women is just pleasure just, pain to the max. Just, yeah. <laughs> oh god, they come to our dimension. And they're like, and you just you put needles in your face, so you and then you can't move those muscles. And it's like, yeah, it's actually a form of poison. And they're like, amazing. I more. Wow, I'm so that's so exciting to me. Wow, I never even would consider like it would be really cool if they just like their dimension doesn't have any of this stuff, and they come to ours and they're like, whoa, wait, wait, wait so you drive how fast in these things and they're like yeah sometimes up to 100 miles an hour and there's just nothing preventing you from just veering off into another one of these 100 mile an hour machines you can just do that yeah and people get horribly maimed by this every day every day oh my <laughs> wow and they just go flying out of it huh there's nothing protecting you from that and they're like no no, no we have seat belts the belt like holds you in place and like oh and you have to wear those huh and they're like well it's the law to wear them but there's nothing that like the car will still start if you're not wearing it. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I mean, shit, have you seen some of the pictures of people who survive ca- uh, car accidents and the seatbelt just like the seatbelt maims you and they're like they're like the thing just it just goes it just goes tight immediately. Oh yeah, and it like slingshots you right back into the seat. And if that doesn't do it, there's a little explosion that goes off right in your face and they're like, "Oh god." <laughs> I'm soaked. Some some people get like a whole concussion from it. It's terrible. And they're just like, "Yeah, oh, that's terrible." <laughs> <laughs> I do think that that would be that would be a fun a fun movie to explore. Sadly, we will definitely never get that movie. No, no, I feel like that would ruin the brand for whoever's making the decisions here. That is the frustrating thing here is we are dealing with a situation where they're only continuing to make these movies because they want that brand recognition. So they only want them to be horror movies. And unfortunately, the Hellraiser movies are kind of like tied to sex and sexuality from the first film. And I think that the second movie does a pretty good job of trying to get them a little bit away from that and get more into the like the sci-fi aspect of like a different dimension and and all of those things and that's really cool and certainly i think most of the hellraiser movies kind of get away from the sexual aspect of it for the most part but i do think that like that's something that we should be able to explore is like some of the scarier things about sex and uh, i i wish more movies would be more upfront about the things that they're trying to talk about and, and embrace sort of these like uglier topics some people really are afraid of sex and that's like a thing that we should be able to represent in a movie i think and scare them I was trying to to get at earlier too about the 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 female pinhead like this being some weird role reversal gender swapped version of the first one it's like is this going to be them talking about I mean I guess that's what they're all talking about right is like 
the weird issues around consent. I don't know. Are they trying to say women are aggressors too? Is that I the mean, point they're trying to make? That would be lovely. Uh, there are an innumerable amount of uh, sexual assault and rape cases that go completely undocumented because it is uh, perpetrated by a woman on a man. And right. men just don't want to, they don't want to admit that that's, uh, that, that men, was something they didn't want. Yeah. Men, men don't want to have to be the person that's like, I'm a straight man. I, I like having sex with women, but this woman did this in a way that I did not like. And that she specifically did it to me despite, uh, my lack of consent. Yeah. A lot of guys don't want to have to say that out loud because they don't, th- there's a number of reasons, but like least of which is they don't feel like people will believe them. Right. And you know, I think that's a problem for anybody coming forward about, you know, a, uh, an assault that they've experienced they're they're worried that they won't be believed but i think men feel it in a very like deep sort of way in a very it feels like society is kind of always projecting that even in cases of like well there was a 15 year old boy and he had sex with his english teacher and then it's like you mean he got to have sex with his english teacher right right yeah 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 get some um and it's like no if this was if this was swapped around this would be a horrific thing god adam sandler even has a movie where that's the whole bit for his character that's my boy or something like that but the plot revolves around him having a kid with a grown woman who's his like english teacher and he's like a 15 year old and everyone's just like oh nice but also like the legal system's gonna hold her accountable and put her in jail but like consistently even if adam sandler was progressive enough to say like we're gonna put the the woman in jail for having sex with the 15 year old he also like consistently there are jokes throughout the film where it's like yeah but that's pretty sweet right like he got to do that and she was she was really hot right oh yeah she was really hot so like it was totally chill <laughs> and even his character specifically is like no i liked it and i'm glad that it happened and it made me so happy just like next to no reflection on it other than yeah we're gonna have the legal system actually do its job in this case <laughs> right but we're gonna do that in like a background scene like we're not actually that's not the point of the movie yeah no absolutely it's like a blink and you'll miss a moment <laughs> do we have any more predictions about this movie i know that it's kind of hard with a franchise that's so big and has so many movies in it and even there are some hellraiser movies that i'd really like to do for this podcast because there's a lot of really interesting talking points in Hellraiser movies. I know that it's really hard to come up with, well, I think they might do something like this. And especially with such a fucking trash blurb that's basically just, it's a Hellraiser movie. The blurb just said, it's a Hellraiser movie. There's a puzzle box. I don't know. I know. I, I usually focus on the blurb. Like, that's kind of my thing where it's like, you'll, you'll tell me the blurb and it's like, man, that's a really interesting use of the word the. And I'll just dial in on it. And I don't know why I didn't do that this time because the more I think about it, it's like she's going to find her brother who's disappeared theoretically into the puzzle box. How long has he been gone and has it been long enough for by the time she finds him in the puzzle box for him to be like, no, I fucking love it here. That's got to be it, right? The, the brother's been gone long enough that he fucking loves it in the puzzle box. And he's like, no, 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 you should try it. Like, it is great. It would be kind of cool. Uh, one thing I, I lamentingly want to mention is that uh, a thing on pop culture right now is like a lot of, uh, for whatever reason, a lot of pornography has turned to like, oh, stepbrother type of porn where there's that like. I blame the Brady oh, Bunch uh, for this, remember? Yes, yes. <laughs> I do remember your Brady Bunch ruined it all theory. You know, uh, uh, there was a stand-up comedian who put it really well. And I'm you know reluctant to even say this because I don't remember the comedian name but he basically was like yeah step sibling or you know step family porn is great because if you just turn off the volume it's just regular porn <laughs> but if you turn up the volume and you listen to what they're saying that's what indicates that they're related <laughs> There's nothing else indicating that they're related when they're having the sex. It's strictly, it's not like they're wearing like their family tree on, on their shirt. I'm with him and he's my brother and he's got a matching <laughs> shirt. Yeah. This is my, this is my big prediction. My big, my giga brain prediction. Will it have anything in it referencing that real world fact? Oh, that'd be really neat, wouldn't it? God, I hope not. <laughs>
I'm really hoping that that does not take place, that there isn't something in there that, where the brother is like, yeah, but I'd like to have sex with you because I've been in the pleasure dimension for so long. And she's like, ooh, gross, let's not do that. And he's like, well, technically, I'm actually only your half brother, or I'm your stepbrother, or I'm your whatever the fuck thing he's using to. Right. Uh, <laughs> And I'll just, like, I, I would watch that sh scene and just implode in on myself. I don't know what would happen exactly, but, like, to go through, you know, an hour and 50 minutes, and then the last 10 minutes, it's just, I'm the villain of the movie, and also I want to have sex with you, and also I'm excusing it as an acceptable thing because it's not technically incest. <laughs> God, or, or that that's, man, this really needs to be a comedy, because that'd be great. They're just... One of the other Cenobites is like, yes, we found out that, uh, you know, that this incestuous thing causes, uh, like, deep, conflicting emotions, and, and that's just juicy. And then, uh, they tell this to the normal person, they're like, no, 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 stepbrother porn is, is a normal thing now. And they're like, what? what? You're not from a stepbrother? You're already doing it? <laughs> uh, uh... <laughs> What if what if they're like disappointed by that? They're like, wait, no, you guys think this is normal? Oh, that ruins it. Yeah, <laughs> I thought I was ahead of the game here, and here you—it's just normal shit. Oh, good. All right, wrap it up, guys. We, we can't do it anymore. Try to—I don't know—do something with uh, just spit in her mouth or something. I don't know. <laughs> no, we we do that too. I, I, I'd imagine that, that that just cuts to a scene where it's him going through his big book of like dirty shit to do to people. And he's like, what about like, no, let me just let me cut you off there. Let me just flip through that myself. Yep. Did it. Did it. Did it. That's a good one. Like, really? No, I'm kidding. We did that. No, you put your tongue where they poop out of. And they're like, no, no, we, yeah, we do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, My oh, whole God. dimension is built on lies. <laughs> oh, man. God, there's so much weird incesty stuff in, like, pop culture right now. Like, the new uh, Game of Thrones, House of Dragons, is out. Apparently, a lot of people are shipping uh, Matt Smith's character with the, the princess. And I guess the princess character is his niece. And I guess where we're at in the show now, like, the most recent episode, they actually get together and have kids and whatnot. And everyone's like, yay, my ship became real. And they're really doing it. Yay. And I'm just sitting here like, yo, that's her uncle, dude. Like, please stop. Please stop they, they put it in the show because of the shock value and you're like yes they finally they've realized my dreams and it's like no you stop that like fucking roll up a newspaper and bap them with it and be like no stop please yeah you're supposed to look at this and go oh this is gross i don't know if i can i can respect these characters anymore it's kind of supposed to detract from all the things that you like about them but for, for whatever reason there's a lot of viewers who are like no this only adds to all the things i like about them it's another thing in the plus box for me i'm not trying to kink shame or nothing but i i don't know if i look at that as a kink so much as like willfully ignoring the fact i don't know but hey we've done way more than enough recording for this we're gonna this is gonna be the fucking longest episode we've ever done let's just get on, right on a movie i know nothing about like normally i've got some cool shit to fucking say and i'm just like yeah i'll raise her uh i don't know kinky shit <laughs> i don't know they're wearing leather they're they're basically all whores right <laughs> <laughs> glad we never watched the matrix <laughs> Thank goodness. They're all wearing leather. Is this just a Hellraiser spinoff? <laughs> That's what it is. The, the The Matrix came first, right? And the Hellraiser just ripped it off? No, uh, Hellraiser came first. I, I, I know. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, uh, maybe that's one of the that's also one of the things where they're like yeah and the guy like he comes first and they're like no most guys do that that's how we do it here <laughs> <laughs> dude the hellraiser comedy movie would be fucking great i i know i, I there is no end to to how fun this could be and, and they're just not gonna do it a tragedy but let's roll into the movie let's 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 call it a day here
back, we're back, we're back. This is going to be a tough one to talk about, I think, for me. Start start us off, Mr. Ketchup Bottle. I had fun with the movie. I caught the characters that you had uh, mentioned from the previous one, like uh, Miss, Mr. Chattering Teeth and Lady with uh, Weird Vagina Trachea. One of the ones that was sort of missing that I didn't really catch was just, uh, he, he looks kind of like, he's more rotund. It's just supported, supposed to kind of look gross, I guess. And maybe they were like, oh, well, you know, we don't want people saying that we're like being less than kind to overweight people or something. So we'll just scrap that character but i always thought he was like you know he he touched on something that is like sort of a fear that a lot of people have that put on weight and kind of look like this creepy disgusting version of themselves or something i thought that's what he was supposed to represent and that is a fear that a lot of people do have and i think that that's you know that's reasonable it makes sense i don't know i i also see the other argument for it so i, I guess i understand why he's not in it but i thought he had a cool design from the original and i would have liked to have seen him back he had those like uh did you ever watch uh, ghost in the shell i've seen part i've seen some of it so you know the like the guy that's like he's like the part partner detective the, uh, with the with the weird eyeballs or whatever yeah yeah so the that was a design element of this character that that he had like weird like studs where his eyes were supposed to be or like glasses that were like part of his flesh or something i don't know it was pretty cool i thought but i could see them you know not wanting to keep it for you know politically correct reasons i guess it's a little frustrating to not see him i generally like his character i was i was really hoping that there would be more for female pinhead to do other than basically just quote pinhead head a lot. I know you're not as familiar with the rest of the franchise as I am, but I would say more than half of her lines are just, I'm going to quote Pinhead. Pinhead has said, as, right. pin, as Pinhead before me once said, should go before every single one of her lines almost. There were a bunch of times where I thought it was kind of cool that they were digging into the lore, like the whole, um, you know, when she's rummaging through like notebook and shit like that and being like, oh, there's different configurations and it means this and it means that. There was also this like weird religious thing at the end that like I, I wasn't really quite sure what the significance was aside from like maybe setting up another one you know what oh. i mean like like at the end there where he's on the slab and and it, it like moves his arms into like jesus on the cross and then uh i'm assuming that was him turning into a cenobite himself by whatever the leviathan was or something like that that's probably one of the things that's kind of frustrating about this movie for me i have yet to see this in one of the sort of like soft reboot movies normally as i've explained before soft reboots kind of they take a movie that was popular at one time and they just sort of advance the setting of it to modern times. In in the case of this movie, we went from 1980s all the way up until 2020-ish time frame. And then instead of coming up with any new ideas, they kind of just reuse all the old stuff and keep it the same effectively. You know, it, it works in the same way. And this movie does that a little bit. It wasn't so offensive or egregious a case of this that I like feel the need to like say that, you know, this movie's big failing was doing that. But specifically what this movie does to sort of differentiate itself from previous films in the franchise is that it kind of marries the first movie and the second movie into one film. Like if you go back and watch the first movie, it sort of works as like a slasher movie with some, instead of having slasher characters, they have the Cenobites who are a little bit more ghostly and ghoulish and they have supernatural elements to them that don't make a whole lot of sense especially when compared to someone like the, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre's Leatherface, you know, where his abilities are pretty well-defined and that he can chase you down and cut you up with various implements. The, the Cenobites' abilities are not super well-defined. It doesn't, you don't know exactly what they're capable of. And so that that's kind of cool. And that's pretty much all the first movie really has to offer is sort of trying to learn a little bit more about these, you know, creatures and being scared of them because you don't really understand them at all. And then the second movie goes a lot more into trying to make it so the audience can understand and giving us a lot more background for the Cenobites really it works as a sci-fi movie more than as a slasher movie this movie tries to have elements from 
both the first and the second movie sort of slapped together and all the things that are really lovable about the first movie and about the second movie, all the things that like are really cool and interesting and the jaw dropping moments from those movies are not really captured with the same, they're, they're not handled as well. Uh, I, I don't feel like this movie handles them as well as the, the first two movies did. I think it's an interesting way to take that problem of like, how do we cash in on a franchise that's already well established that people already have things they really, really love about it. They want to see that stuff again, but like, you know, new, and also we want to do this in such a radically different way that nobody can say we're just copying the thing over again and they're just wasting their money seeing the same thing they've already seen. This is a really interesting way to approach that problem. And I don't know if I like it as an answer. I know that the way I feel about it is, is not good. I did not like that they kind of just kept some of the cooler parts of the first two movies and slapped them together and set it in 2022 or 2020 or whatever, you know, year this is supposed to be set in. How did you feel? Uh, one of the one of the elements of the movie that I was not expecting and that came up and I was hoping for them to do more with, but I don't feel like they did as much as I would have liked. Was that uh, the main the main character is a uh, is an addict of some kind? She was on like a twelve step twelve step yeah. program. No, I I thought that that was interesting, and like I thought it was going to play a bigger part in the movie because it's like this this thing happens as soon as like she relapses pretty hard. Like she's uh, she's drinking that night, does a bunch of pills, and then this shit starts to happen, and I'm like, okay, so this is this is going to be like a redemption arc, right? And like it's basically not mentioned again until fucking when Nora is like, oh, we don't drink around her. And it's like, oh, that's right, that's right. She's an addict. Yeah, and and that line is only in there to get Trevor out of the room. I, I didn't I didn't like that part of the movie where they basically made went, the, went from the movie being like, hey, we're kind of ramping up this Cenobite stuff and Cenobite stuff's happening more often. And then we're going to spend a good 15, 20 minutes where it's just singling the characters out one by one so that they can have like their oopsie daisy, I landed on the weird <laughs> cube dagger thing and now I'm being a attacked by a Cenobite. I was excited to see four people get to interact with finding out that otherworldly creatures are coming and killing people uh, because just seeing one person go I saw it, I swear I saw it, and then all the, all the other people will be like, no, uh only for them to get murdered, you know, whenever they're by themselves. Isn't very interesting for me. Right. No, I thought that was going to be kind of cool. Honestly, like, there was there was a bunch in this movie that just, I, I didn't get satisfaction from how it wrapped up. As soon as I saw the dude in the house like, because he stabs Nora with the ball and I'm like, oh, okay, there's gonna be like some some weird shit going on, and then it's like, yeah, I uh, I hired Trevor. Be a good little boy, Trevor. Good. I, I know that you're fucking like bleeding out, but uh, continue to do this thing for me. And then they have their little standoff, fucking the the main character and Trevor there. And she's like poised to stab him, and he's like, "Give it back!" and like runs onto it. And I'm like, "All right, yeah, I, I guess that happened." They went to great lengths to try to make Riley not seem like a shitty character or a bad person or whatever. Uh, whenever she's sort of put into a corner, she's like, "Hey, I'm trying. I'm doing my best." In movie parlance, at least as far as I see it from a writing perspective, having a character take the time to deconstruct an, an argument entirely to the point of "I'm trying. I'm doing my best." That's probably the best argument you can give to someone who is like yelling at you about your failures. Letting them know I'm a human, I make mistakes, I can only do as much as I can do, and this is me trying my best. I imagine that there are next to no situations where as an audience member I hear someone say that and I'm not like, I'm sympathetic to that because I also have times where I'm trying my best and it's not enough. It's like the most sympathetic thing you can say for like 90% in the audience, 90% of the people in the audience to go, yeah, I also experience that sometimes. Wow, I'm I'm connecting with this character. Right. But it's, it's just not very like profound to say that out loud it's right along the lines of like you make me angry or 
this is very sad for me right now, like saying those things out loud instead of just showing the character like feeling those emotions, you know? Right. And, and the scene where that's going on, where like apparently everybody's already established that she was out drinking and drugging that night and she's like, I can't remember anything. And then for uh, for the boyfriend there to be like, well, remember better, because I don't understand how drugs affect people. And it's like, just the whole scene was weird. Yeah, also he's sort of like spitting in the face of like basically what you're saying is, I think that you saw more than you're letting us know. Let's say that he's right. She did see more. What she saw was probably very traumatic and it's causing her not to remember very well because some people respond to trauma with like a difficulty remembering it or difficulty bringing it up perfectly and especially since this movie's set in like 2020 2022 ish time frame and this guy is you know that that was one of the cooler things in the movie they had a gay couple that wasn't like uh flagrantly gay yeah like they weren't like pushing up the gay angle they were just a normal couple they just happened to be gay i I did enjoy that for exactly that reason because i think we've talked about this before where it's like what is good representation and it's like it mentioned that they were a couple and that was pretty much the end of it like nobody was doing any like real effeminate prancing they were it wasn't like brought up frequently where it was like i need to find my boyfriend they said it and it was it and i think that that's probably the best way those those types of things can be handled yeah i don't think there were any scenes that were played out for the character to be gay if you had told me that they filmed the movie in reverse where they filmed all of the scenes where the guy wasn't doing anything that would implicate him as a gay character and then they were like just to make sure that this actor doesn't do anything to indicate that he's gay we'll film all the scenes where he's you know he doesn't know that he's a gay character and then we'll show him the scenes where he has to it, it becomes very clear and obvious that this is a gay character and that way all of the acting is completely untouched by the knowledge that this is a gay character. I believe it. I believe that that's what had happened Um, because he... He plays it like an like a completely average run of the mill dude in a horror movie, uh, and I, I really like that. I thought it was that was really good. I I liked Colin's performance. There's a lot of yelling in this movie. Yeah, where characters just start shouting at each other for next to no reason. I did like the scene where he kicks her out of the uh, apartment. I didn't feel it was necessary for her to shout at him before he shouts at her. I think that she should have said, "Then just say it. Say get the fuck out." And then he yells, "Get!" He blows up because he's just so tired of her being like fucking. I'm forcing your hand if you're not going to say it like you mean it then I'm not going to do it and he you know and he blows up that makes sense to me logically I don't see any reason why she has to start the yelling yeah I'm wondering if that's um, maybe that was them just leaning hard on the like the negative side of, of uh, the fact that she she had been drinking all night I don't know if she had she probably hadn't I don't think she did drugs at that point but I think they were trying to really push on the bad feels of hey she's uh, not in her right mind she's clearly like scared her decisions because of her addiction so she's like pushing the argument where it doesn't need to go and shit like that so i do want to say really quick that i like the idea of having a character who has an addiction or who is like experiencing excess in their life in this franchise specifically hellraiser is a great series that's sort of built for us to be able to discuss like well what if i am just really plumbing the depths of excess and just taking in all the different pleasures i can and then oh no there are monsters that are specifically designed to torture people who do that like it's it's like a dark reflection of how a person who doesn't experience or who doesn't live that lifestyle and doesn't have any like they don't share your feeling on like wanting to plumb the depths of excess how they see you is as a Cenobite where you're like, yeah, come and and enjoy these different pleasures I have. And a person who doesn't partake in that stuff is like, no, I don't, I don't want that. It's going to be bad for me if I do. I think it's it's a cool mirror of that, but I don't think that they showed that really well for us as audience members. It's hard for someone to like put those pieces together because the movie doesn't really do anything to help you get to that, you know? Right. 
yeah honestly like uh towards the end of the movie we're um like basically we're just we're reading the puzzle box as like this monkey's paw type thing like that's kind of what it felt like the story was being told i think that's accurate yeah and i didn't i don't know maybe i need to go back and watch the other ones because like i said i'm not not horribly familiar with the franchise but everything i've heard of it did not scream retelling of the monkey's paw to me and that that's definitely what this one felt like i don't know if maybe i'm just not happy with the ending where it's like oh you've chosen the the, the sad configuration and now we're just gonna we're gonna leave and do nothing to you and she's like good the end like it just it felt very flat and then to have like the what do they call it the stinger scene where it's just meant to say oh and then this happens so who knows maybe we'll do a sequel i agree that is a little bit odd and again this is them sort of copying from hellraiser 2 and that's something i would have liked to see in this movie so i'm glad we did get to have a scene for this i just don't love it the way that i love the one from hellraiser 2 but how hellraiser 2 did have a scene where it showed someone becoming a cenobite basically and to get to see that again is cool i just didn't really love it also and this is a petty thing for me to bring up, but I'm going to bring it up because I want to. We had a perfectly good chance for them to show male genitals, to show a, a, a good old man's penis in a movie. Yeah. Uh, and they just chose to, and I get it. He's like being transformed into a Cenobite. So who knows, you know, there's going to be some degree of like messing around with his parts. I don't know. But uh, it felt kind of like a cop out. And I get that the rest of the movie doesn't have any nudity in it either, unless you include uh, Trevor's butt. It just feels frustrating that like movies get perfectly good chances to show us some sweet sweet dong and then they just choose not to but they'll show us a woman's breasts or even sometimes their fully naked body no hesitation right and it's like they they even they even panned down and like showed God, what i don't even know how to describe it it was like the uh, the approximation of dong and yeah. you know before they actually like ripped him all up and then yeah fucking we we see him practically turned into a cenobite and it's like all right now i understand the whole area being mutilated but he looked at his dick and yeah. we panned as an audience down to his dick and you showed me a Kendall. Yeah, it was like two different shots where his dick was in full view. Yeah, it's like a step between a Kendall and a real penis. It's like the the middle point between those two things, you know. And it's it's frustrating. Like, why would you do that? You know, why not just have it not there? That would have been scary. Have like right, a why big... did we have to pan down at all? Or yeah, yeah. Why even show his fucking feet? Like, God, it's just some weird. I don't know. I, I liked that they kept the Leviathan as like this weird esoteric thing that's not easily understood. I think that's cool. Keep it as like a weird, like the the, the god Leviathan that they worship, yeah. uh, who's, who's just supposed to be a representation of excessive hunger or excessive desire. I think it's cool to just have him be like a big geometric shape or like a series of lights or something like that. That's a that's a cool representation of a god in my mind because it just yeah. keeps it so ambiguous. I, I, I like that a lot. I did like that. I would have I would have liked more digging into the lore because like i feel like this this wasn't a super horrific horror movie for me it was sort of like what was it i remember watching 13 ghosts and it was more like uh let's see the next monster instead of anything super horrific i'm so glad you like, said 13 ghosts because i like the house that they were in gave me 13 ghosts vibes uh, yeah with the hole and the trap and he's like now i've trapped the ghosts and blah, and like i wish they had just leaned more into that you know that that scene from brain damage where it's like and then and then he was in the the, he was in Spain and he took over the kings there and then he jumped on a bishop and he went off to Rome and, and we got yeah. like a fucking monologue about the backstory of this thing. I would have liked if they threw something like that in there where it was just like, alright, well since we're not trying to like horror gore your way through this movie, let's uh, let's really dig down into like what the Cenobites do. And I can only imagine that like that ending stinger scene is just setting up for like, if you want to know more, watch 
the next time we remake the fucking Hellraiser series. I agree with you. I think that if we're not going to do horrifying gore, cutting people open, because I mean, that's 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 one of the things I wanted to note. The cinematography in this movie really tries to avoid having uh, a lot of the Cenobite characters in like a well-lit room for like 90% of the movie. And I, I just don't know why, because the older Hellraiser movies did not shy away from that. Many of the scenes involving the Cenobites are in like a hospital room without the lights flickering or anything like that. They're just like, oh, hey, we're here to hang out. What's good? And that makes them kind of terrifying because in most horror movies, it's like in the middle of the night, you're running through the woods and there's a creepy figure following you. Ah, you can't really see it. That's scary, right? It's a little bit more terrifying when it's a grotesque, ugly, horrifying monster standing right in front of you in a well-lit room where anybody should be able to see you and protect you, but they're just not... (laughs) Right, like we almost we almost had a scene where I was I was hoping for that to happen when, uh, when they're in the nursing home or the hospital or whatever, and the two nurses leave, and this is when just the horrific monster comes comes in and is like, "All right, Barbara, let's fucking go." And it wasn't; it was her running around the hospital, and like you couldn't really see what it was that was. Ch- I really wanted to see all the monsters, and I feel like either they just were not confident in their costume design or something, because we didn't get to see hardly any of them. Like that yeah. one that was all. Um, breathing ragged and shit like that like i don't think i saw that dude in a fully lit situation once but but i got to see the lady with the trachea exposed and her weird like nun outfit i think that she is borrowed from hellraiser 3 i think her design is is almost pretty close to the design of the hellraiser 3 female cenobite uh like it's i think her name's angel or something like that or maybe that was the name of her human counterpart i don't know they had some cool designs for the cenobites like initially i was kind of like it's just going to be female pinhead but then we got like a lot more and, and they were cool and neat and i especially like the one who's like their like arms or their hands like split down the middle and they yeah have, that like, was neat that was cool the reason that cinematographers like to have shadow is that it helps to cover up any sort of like goofy looking or uncanny valley type of effect or thing or whatever whenever you put a scene in like broad daylight they want it all to be real so it looks real the problem is is that when we're doing a creature feature like this specifically where the big draw is the design of these grotesque humans that have been mutilated and have all these different cool flourishes to their design you want to spend some time getting to see them well lit yeah that that's um, why I, f- I feel like it, it was just in the shadow because they were like hey, you're the movie guys so you'd probably know better but it, it just feels like they knew it, they didn't do it quite well enough or something like that like the the silhouette is perfect and we if we could just not zoom Zoom in on the fact that she's covered in Play-Doh. Oh, that'd be great. Thanks. I, I feel like that's the case specifically for the design of the one that I pointed out. The guy with the, the arms that split down, yeah. right down from like the middle finger all the way up to the, the shoulder. That one I specifically feel like would not do well in a well-lit area. It would just look kind of off and you could tell like this is a goofy CGI thing. But it really did seem like at least female pinhead and the, the nun kind of lady as you described her both of those seem to stand up to scrutiny oh uh, yeah at least in my opinion I, I thought they looked really solid in in the few scenes we got of them in clear well-lit areas so I, I i don't have an excuse for them to be honest with you I, I i don't know why they wouldn't have had more scenes involving them being very clearly visible so did- there's also um that scene where she stabs the chattering teeth dude with the box and we've got female pinhead looking sly about it and i'm just like i don't it, it's one of those things where it's like 
like I feel like they were trying to play with the rules of the box like as written and shit like that but there wasn't like a consequence and the, nobody explained it like I don't know why female pinhead was all like ah oh, clever girl and then like that doesn't come up again in the movie really you mentioned the monkey's paw thing earlier the, the puzzle box itself is supposed to be the monkey's paw the only reason anybody would have the puzzle box as is explained in the first movie is that they're looking for the heights of depravity and pleasure and desire and all these things by acquiring the puzzle box and solving it you're telling the creatures of this other dimension you're ready to receive their gifts and to go and frolic in ultimate pleasure with them and that's why the original guy went and got the puzzle box because that's what he was looking for and they took him away to the pleasure dimension but oh no monkey's paw their definition of pleasure is also to include pain and that's how the original conceit is a monkey's paw. Mm -hmm. um, so in this one, they take it a little bit further where now it's like a genie where you can get a wish and it has to be one of these six different things. I guess I guess it's more like a monkey's paw now because a monkey's paw is supposed to have like a diverse ability to give you different things. I don't know. It's still a monkey's paw. It always was a monkey's paw, but there wasn't like an option for when the Cenobites show up for you to say, yes, I would like you to bestow power upon me or bestow whatever. All you had to do was solve the box they'd show up and they'd take you away. That's it. It is crazy to me what lines they chose to like reference from the older films because there is one line from the original Hellraiser movie that is just so good in my mind. In my mind, this line only works in a Hellraiser movie. The girl from Hellraiser 1 gets her hands on the puzzle box. She solves it and the Cenobites are summoned, right? She's in like a hospital room. It's very well lit. You can see all the details. Everything looks fucking amazing. And she's terrified and she's screaming her fucking head off and she's crying like crazy. Pinhead turns to her and he goes, don't cry. It's a waste of good suffering. And I'm just like, oh yes, what a perfect line. Yes, 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 yes. They didn't use that line here. What a waste. But also when they arrived to, to take the girl away, she's like, no, wait. The, the plot of the original Hellraiser is that the guy who got taken away by the Hellraisers at the beginning of the movie has found a way to come back to our dimension, come back to Earth. And he is sort of terrorizing people by like sucking their souls out in order to resuscitate himself, in order to resurrect himself into a normal working human body. And she's she, she called daddy and she's like, hey, Cenobites, come here and like protect me from the bad man. They tell her like, no, that's not how this works. We're gonna take you. But she like gets away from them and like notifies them of the fact that he has like escaped their grasp. And so they are now both trying to collect the guy who got away and this new girl who has opened the box, which means that she has to be taken away. There weren't all these like weird loopholes about like, oh, you can if you don't give us you, you have to give us somebody else. Right. Like, that wasn't that wasn't a part of it. <laughs> Like, I, I imagine there was never a point where they're like, oh, so now we open. Like, that was just a weird thing where it's like, oh, we, if, if you stab one of us with the box, then we have to uh, double take ourselves. And uh, like, what the hell was with that? I would have never. So that's kind of the point of this podcast, right? There was a lot of, and I, I, I want to formally apologize for the preamble to this episode. We didn't do a terribly good job of like forcing ourselves to come up with things we thought would be in the movie. We kind of just mostly talked about like what our experience with the Hellraiser friend franchise up till this point is we kind of went in thinking you know it's just gonna be kind of stuff we've already seen effectively and that's that's the problem is i probably never would have guessed yeah so the hellraiser box in this one is going to have a little dagger that comes out of it that was never a thing this is a new thing they've designed a little little tiny knife that'll come out and whenever it stabs somebody the Cenobites come and get whoever was stabbed but if you don't get stabbed you're perfectly fine <laughs> also if the Cenobites are coming for you and you're able to get the little knife part out you can stab a Cenobite and then it'll take the Cenobite away from you isn't that cool i 
would have never guessed that in a million years. That is the point of this podcast. We th- we thought we were too big. We were too smart to fail. <laughs> we fucked up. I'm going to officially apologize about that. I'm going to try harder on the next one to say, no, no, no. Give me your craziest predictions. Because to me, if you had said that to me before this episode started, if you had said, I think it'd be cool if like the puzzle box has like a, like a deadly implement on it, maybe a knife or a gun or something. I'd be like, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. If that is in this fucking movie, I will explode. <laughs> and then I would have had to explode. Um, I think it's a shame that, um, cause like the only prediction I made was that like the brother's going to be like, no, this is rad. You should join me. I think it's weird that like, I, I thought that they took you and they just tortured you forever. And it's pretty heavily implied. It's like, no, we tortured him for like 20 minutes and then just killed him. Yeah. Um, so no, I, I think that the way you understood it is the correct way that the previous movies have led us to believe that it works and have shown us that it works. The characters are taken to the Cenobite dimension and they're just taken there to be forever pained or pleasured with pain and suffering of various different kinds, um, usually to involve bodily mutilation, but you never die doing it. It just keeps going. It's like hell, basically. So I think you're right to feel that way about it. And I do not understand why this movie is like, yeah, his death was exquisite. And it's like, you mean it's continuing to be exquisite to this moment because your guys are just killing him over and over again. And it's super fun and cool for you guys. But they didn't make it seem that way. They do make it seem like they like get him, kill him real, real fast. Like... (laughs) Yeah, at least at least that's how it seems. Like uh, that's. I mean, we got to watch it happen to Nora, like pretty explicitly. Yeah, I mean, so that's the thing. I think Nora was the closest one to just like, oh, she's just she's just gonna be tortured because they did the thing with the needle through the neck, and and then they basically just ripped the skin of her back off. But yeah, I, I just I, I I went into this expecting like having not really any knowledge of how the rest of the series goes. I just assume that you were tortured forever until they're like, all right, time for you to be a Cenobite next. Yeah, I don't know why they didn't want to do the whole, yeah, we tortured your brother for eons and now we've turned him into one of us and then he shows up and he's like, uh, uh, I'm a Cenobite and I want you to come with us. It's it's exquisite, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, that could have been cool. I, I, was, I think that I think that you're you're absolutely right to feel the way that you did, and I think that you made the right call that that should have happened. It would it would have made more sense to me, and I feel like we could have gotten a more interesting ending instead of just being like, no, no, you've already killed him. I, I already know that. I don't I don't want anything from you guys. And then it just ends. I also think that if we're to read the Cenobites as like a dark reflection of where addiction and where like seeking pleasure can take you, it's kind of weird that uh, the movie ends with her saying, no, I'm going to refuse going any further into your guys's weird pleasure game and i'm just going to leave it here it makes it seem like the movie is saying that the only way to get over like addiction or to get over like you know these pleasure seeking sort of self-destructive tendencies is to quit cold turkey which that can actually kill you if you're doing enough alcohol every day and drinking or drinking enough alcohol doing enough drugs every day you know whatever your vice is or whatever there's a good chance that stopping just all together will literally kill you 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 need to taper off over time and not that's not to say like over the course of a year or anything but like maybe the course of like a month or two you just slowly start doing less and less and less and i'm not a medical professional i'm not trying to say that my rule my word is law or anything i'm just saying that is the understanding that i think that we're at right now and it makes a lot more sense too i think it's a more manageable that way um for somebody who's going through it so it's weird that the movie is trying to continue that rhetoric of like well if you're you know addicted to drugs or you're addicted to alcohol why don't you just quit tomorrow that is like kind of the ignorant man's like 
argument right. for I think I think even across the board like whether or not it'll actually kill you I think it's just uh, also proven to work better if you um if you taper off instead of like I remember reading a weight loss thing that was like hey instead of just never having candy in your house have a little bit of candy in your house it, it's something to do with the like knowing that you chose not to have it as opposed to like I really need it and I don't have any in the house and then you go out and fucking gorge well yeah and so that's another thing too it would have been neat if they just had a better through line for the addiction thing like they gave up on the addiction storyline way too early like if they I don't even know how you would like pepper it in better but I feel like it should have been in order for her to get to the end and like I'm assuming that that's that's supposed to be the good takeaway like the good ending at the end it's like nope I realized that the the Cenobites have taught me that I need to not go into excess with my pills and my drinking it didn't do that sort of a funny note uh, I liked how she was like considering taking the pills and then she drops them on the ground and then picks them up and I'm like looking at this scene and I'm like some of those look kind of like little pebbles like is there a chance she picked up a tiny rock <laughs> she just picked up a little a little tiny rock and said oh, I'll just eat this <laughs> yep she doesn't even chew them either, so there's no way for her to like, oh, I'll chew these pills or whatever. She just swallows them whole. Right, so and she's been drinking the whole time, so it's like, <laughs> it was all rocks. That's all it was. There's no way she would have known. I didn't like how the knife also made the, the person experiencing the stab wound feel like euphoric and like, oh, I'm seeing stuff, room spinning. And I'm like, um, you're not like experiencing this from blood loss. It's it's not that deep of a cut. Um, right. No, yeah, nobody was gushing blood. I mean, they were gushing blood for the sake of the shot or whatever. But no, yeah, nobody had like nicked an artery or anything like that. Even the, the lady in the hospital, it had just like stabbed between the webbing of her fingers. So I'm like, is this thing like poisoned in some way? And like, why? is that now a rule god it's like uh it's like somebody gave these people just the bare bones description of what the puzzle box is supposed to do and they're like yeah yeah we'll run with that we'll we'll inspire everything we come up with from this point on with uh your paragraph about hellraiser oh shitty thing also uh the original author of the book that hellraiser is based on was on the production team for this Clive all right well was he not on the production team for the rest of the series or something like that nope he was he has consistently worked on uh hellraiser I don't know if he's been on every single project for it, but I do know he's been on a lot of them. Clive Barker is his name, and he he wrote the, the books that Hellraiser is based on. Yeah, well, it's just uh, weird that this one decided to rewrite the rules. Yeah, it changed the rules around, and it like combined two different uh, movies into one. And I don't know if that's how he would have preferred it. If he's like, yeah, actually, uh, Hellraiser 1 and Hellraiser 2 really should have just been one movie because uh, in the books, that's how it works out is it's one book. So I don't know. I have no clue exactly how much input he had. Maybe he was just like, every time you guys make a Hellraiser movie, uh, my name has to be on the production team somewhere. I don't know. But uh, it's, it's weird to see his name in the credits and like the movie feels kind of disconnected from other Hellraiser movies. But I, I will say, and we've been kind of dogging on the movie a little bit, I did want to note specifically that of the newer Hellraiser movies, like the last three or four Hellraiser movies have been pretty bad. Been, Genuine, genuinely not good movies, yeah. I'm glad you, you're like reining us in from shitting on this so much because all in all, it was not like a horrible movie. Like I had a good time watching it. I thought it was neat. If I had no preconception about how Hellraiser works, it would have. It, it's all neat little bits that are kind of 
of thrown together. And it's just it's just knowing that none of the <laughs> that's not how any of this is supposed to work kind of like pulls me out of it a little bit. And and I, I do think that um we should give a little bit more freedom to like for them to make their own decisions and whatnot, because you know, certainly all of the ideas that we had were freeform nonsense stuff given the, the canon lore that we already have in place. Also, this movie is I would say about as good as the first Hellraiser movie, maybe a little bit worse. The second movie, I think, is really where the Hellraiser franchise hits its stride, and that's probably, in my recollecting of it, I think Hellraiser 2 is the best Hellraiser movie for me, mostly because I prefer to trend towards sci-fi horror more so than, like, slasher kind of, oh no, we gotta run away from the thing type of horror. I, I prefer it when it's like, hey, we're trying to understand this science fiction thing that's, like, a little bit above our pay grade, and we're gonna go in and we're gonna investigate it, and we're gonna, we're gonna go where it lives and check it out and shit, you know? I think that's a good point that you made about, like, just letting them try to reimagine the series because you know <laughs> i we're kind of our own problem here where uh you know in, in the beginning half of this episode we're like why wouldn't they do a hellraiser comedy and then we're like i can't believe they changed the rules even a little bit <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's exactly yeah that's <laughs> First of all, I don't I don't want to shoot ourselves in the foot too much here. That Hellraiser comedy idea is golden. No, I think it's perfect, but I think we're definitely our own worst enemy in this situation. We're like they need to they need to have the balls to step outside the their comfort zone and, and reimagine the series, and then it's like I can't believe they put a dagger in the box, bunch of fucking idiots. <laughs> I, I think I literally said that if you had told me that was your idea for the fucking movie, I would explode. <laughs> fucking lord. We are a bunch of goons, aren't we? Yeah, yeah just the fucking uh, hypocritical assholes over here. Yeah, yeah. There was a point in the movie where I thought it was going to get really fucking juicy when the guy with like the golden machine in his chest, Voight or whatever. Yep, yeah, uh, Roland Voight. Roland, yeah. So Roland turns around and like he's letting the Cenobites in, but then he closes all the doors and he's like, I've got you trapped in here now. And in my mind, I'm like, wait a second, is Roland even a bad guy? Like, was he a good guy this whole time? And he's just like a demon hunter now? Like, that's what he's done with the six years. And he's only just now getting Trevor to go out there and find people to like open up the box again because he's finally mastered how to like put it to these demon people. Um, yeah. Nope. Nope. He was a bad guy. He killed that lady, first of all. So that definitely happened. His plan is predicated on him killing people. Uh, he needs to kill, you know, six people to in order to get to where he is at this point. And uh, he was just, just absolutely a bad guy. I don't know why it took him six years to get Trevor to actually get this plan rolling. Maybe he had tried with other people before and just was never successful. I don't know. I thought it that also was like a really thing. short-lived uh, monologue there where he's like, and now, and now I've trapped you all and you're going to fucking fix this and blah, blah, blah. And then, um, and then like they, they flipped the switch again and he's like, oh, I meant, please fix this. I did think that that was like a cool thing. Uh, we, we talked about them making references to real life gross stuff. One of the like real life weird things is that with millionaires or famous people in general, there's a lot of like conspiracy theories that they're actually not dead. They're still alive out there and they just fake their own death to like get away from the paparazzi or whatever. Elvis is still alive somewhere. And they actually had that in this movie with, with Roiland or Roland. That was kind of neat to me. I was like, oh, that's cool. Roland's still alive and he's just going around putzing about. I thought that when they like 
eventually revealed him because they were keeping him, you know, shady, shadowy in the dark, that he was going to be like either a full Cenobite or like half Cenobite or like more mutilated in some way. And to just have him have like a little machine in his chest was in some ways disappointing, but in other ways, I did think it was kind of interesting. I I, I did like that because it's new and it's exciting and like, what can the, the wishes do? Oh, they put horrifying machines inside of you that just torment you. <laughs> right. I did. I did like that. I, I thought that was a cool idea to just have horrifying torture implements handed out as the as the reward. <laughs> the price, yeah, I genuinely like that. I uh, <laughs> I don't think we were supposed to hate Matt, but I do think that it's easy to just because Riley's character is easy to sort of um, empathize with. Like I described earlier, it's easy to see what she's going through and say, "Hey, you know, I've had situations where I've tried my best and people were yelling at me for it, and that really, you know, that feels shitty." Whereas, like, not a lot of people have been in the situation that Matt is in, where they have like a family member who is supposed to be doing their best to get better, but they keep messing up and you're making reasonable requests of them and they just keep blowing up in your face about it and you're getting frustrated and you don't know what to do. And so you're trying to take steps in order to advance uh, your desire to like have them get better, but they just keep pushing back against you on it. Not a lot of people have been in that situation. It's it's harder to empathize with because it really does seem like he's kind of just not bullying her, but like, uh, I don't know, overstepping his bounds. Yeah, like we, we didn't really get to explore what their relationship was prior to this she's in a rehab program already so in theory she's supposed to be doing better and then he's he's just losing his mind about like what we can only assume is like a very recent fuck up and even then it's like a whatever like oh you were out late probably drinking right get out of my house and it's like it feels very abrupt i think we needed to spend a little bit more time with that relationship it does feel like this movie's kind of like forcing that along if they had continued on with the story of her battle with addiction throughout the whole movie then it would have felt better as it sits there were a couple of times where i could empathize with her being like all she knows is that she relapsed did a bunch of drugs and now her brother's fucking gone and even the the boyfriend there is like i told you not to leave and this whole feeling of like this is my fault i should have never done the drugs or whatever like that if they had just like not dropped it 20 minutes into the movie then it would have felt like a better everything yeah i don't really love this movie either as like a because we talked about whether or not the movie would be good for female empowerment reasons and i don't think it does a terribly good job of that i don't think it's that it tried to butcher like it butchered an attempt at that i just think it didn't do anything with it at all yeah i think it was just like yeah we're gonna have a female uh pinhead okay want to do anything with that in terms of like storytelling like you know the horrors of being a woman and like you know get told when you're like fucking 13 that you're gonna have a period for the next 40 years like that's pretty scary and shitty no like no we just uh we we had the only person we could find that looked like the original pinhead was this chick kind of and we'll just have her say a bunch of pinhead stuff and we're not really trying to reinvent the wheel here in terms of like discussing feminine issues fuck that that's gross let's uh i don't know what was some cool stuff in hellraiser one well it was kind of like a slasher movie what about hellraiser 2 i had all this stuff about like a weird demon god thing i don't know okay yeah let's just slap those two together and call it a day uh well add in like a rich white guy character that everybody can hate because you know we don't like rich white dudes anymore i thought that was gonna be the thing like when we roll into the first little bit of the movie and he ends up killing that kid and it's just rich debauchery party and i was like cool i i can get behind this another movie where we're shitting on the rich people and even that was like immediately dropped like every everything that they had that was like a really good idea they immediately dropped and we're like well no no no, no. don't don't ruin it by adding too much originality to this movie we're not trying to talk about anything interesting here 
okay? Obviously, a good horror movie can't talk about anything political or anything that's, like, social issue or anything like that, which is just wrong. Jordan Peele has made, like, his entire career off of making very politically charged and very socially charged, culturally charged horror films. And they work really, really well. In fact, some would argue that the best horror films are ones that are specifically trying to create a monster that you can associate with something that you experience either on a big scale or on a personal scale. I generally like this take on Hellraiser. I think it's a it's a good one. And I think that it's one that like a Hellraiser fan can be happy about, but it isn't as good as I was hoping for. And I know I didn't make that expectation very clear going in. I like the Hellraiser franchise. I just have been disappointed with it in the last several movies. And this one's a, a positive turn upwards, but maybe not to the level of its its contemporaries, especially earlier on when it was kind of at its height of quality. But still, all in all, I think it's it's a it's a worthwhile movie. There are just a couple of things in it that like specifically I would have liked to see like the rich millionaire, you know, jump out of the fucking corners and be like, I'm a flawed anti-hero who's here to like fight demons, but I just happen to be of the belief that people are sacrificable and fuck them. So I have like this weird gray morality, but I wanna I wanna I want to get my revenge on these these demon monsters and I've been studying the occult since I got this thing installed in my chest and now I'm like prepared to try to kill them and beat them up and do all this cool stuff. That'd be kind of neat. Like the idea of Demon Hunter Man. Maybe that could have been Trevor's character or somebody else, you know, like I don't love giving that role to shady millionaire guy. That would have been at least nice to see like a more legitimate threat to the Cenobite terror. And especially how in this movie there isn't really good argument for, oh, they're just here to give you the thing you asked it does seem like they're sort of like haha we're gonna get what we want one way or the other if you're not gonna do it we're gonna kill you somebody will come along and do the rest of the configurations the way that we're wanting them to so either you give us somebody or you give us yourself twisting people's arms to get them to like keep going with the sacrifices that seems wrong and weird right it's like especially weird because like if we're leaning on the fact that these guys are punishing excess like if that if that's the the moral that we're reaching for here i think it would have fit that theme better for them to to just be pushing harder at tempting her to do it instead of being like, all right, well, we'll just kill you if you don't want to do it. So I don't think that they're supposed to be punishing excess. They're celebrating excess, right? They're right. trying, the, the punishment is the excess in a way, which is uh, appropriate for someone who's suffering through addiction, right? The more you indulge in the excess, the more punishment you're going to receive from it. The more, you know, you shoot up heroin, the more you're going to start seeing the negative sides of doing heroin where, you know, your body is sort of like, it's having a, it's having a tough time to put it lightly. <laughs> so I think that that makes it a good metaphor for that. And it, and it opens itself up, you know, for that, but it just, it just didn't really, like you said, like they just kind of dropped the, I, I have an addiction angle of this. And I think that they, they dropped that because they want Riley to be a more likable character, a more empathy, a character you can empathize with a character you can sympathize with. They want her to be likable. This is something that like, you ever heard someone say the phrase, save the cat? Uh, I have not. No. Save the cat is a theory in filmmaking where they want you to, have your character that you want the audience to like you want them to like this character right so you have them do something small like saving a cat from a tree or specifically it's in reference to the movie alien where ripley goes back to save jonesy um so she goes out of her way and risks her own life to make sure that jonesy is safe she saves the cat and that's to let everybody know that this is a genuinely good and altruistic person this is a good character there's no ambiguity here it's not up for debate it is easy to tell you're supposed to like this person right i don't know why but for whatever reason, audiences, I guess, struggle with knowing who to like. I don't know. Um, it, it did feel like there was a lot of hand-holding with that at the time. And it's like, I, you know, the, the virtue signaling of like, I'll just 
let them take me. I I won't give you guys up. And it's like, she repeated that like a good chunk of times. And then by the end of it, it's like, no, you can't take him. Luckily, I found out that the other guy is an unlikable character. And so we could just kill that one. Yeah, it seems inappropriate to like from just like a being reasonable human standpoint. Trevor didn't take this deal because he was trying to hurt anybody. He constantly was trying to get people to stop fucking around with the cube because he knew what it was capable of. He kept doing that. He just lied about his involvement with it. Right. And to say that that like lying about his involvement with this whole thing seems pretty inappropriate. It seems like Trevor's probably the kind of guy who's not doing super well financially aside from this one gig he has where this dude pays him to try to attract people into this cube situation. Uh, I don't know. I'm making a couple of assumptions here, but like I could see a situation where they sort of spin the movie to make Trevor seem like a flawed character instead of a killable one. <laughs> right. Yeah, I agree. The, the point at the end where she's just like, don't kill Colin, kill me. Ooh, no, don't kill me either. There's another. <laughs> seems wildly inappropriate and it's just a not a good way to view these characters and it would be nice to like i don't know allow characters to be flawed right like why can't she actually be an addict who's like struggling and really having a tough time we don't really see that a lot in movies and i think it's because they're like well how can we have a positive and likable character who people know that they're supposed to empathize and sympathize with but they also do hard drugs and are struggling to quit it sounds perfect to me, like, I, I feel like the whole movie would have benefited from that because that seemed, at least, like, thinking back on the things I'm griping about, that seems to be my biggest complaint here. They just dropped the ball on these through lines and they're like, wouldn't that be neat? And then they forgot to, like, scrub it out of the movie and then they pull something else out and they're like, wouldn't this also be neat? And then they forget to scrub that out too. I agree. Maybe in much the way that... <laughs> You suggested they shot the movie in reverse so the guy wouldn't act like a gay character. They, they shot the movie in reverse and she didn't know she was a drug addict until they were shooting the first scene. <laughs> Dude, maybe. <laughs> that is terrible to think of that. She's just like, oh, 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 God, my character has some layers. <laughs> <laughs> damn i really wish i knew that acting the whole time like yeah but you know we didn't want colin you know being all flamboyant or whatever he's actually kind of like he's one of those people who makes fun of gay people by like doing a, a big old foppishly gay like accent and everything we couldn't hire anyone else to replace him so we just had to you know, trick him yep and we didn't uh we didn't want you just walking around with a fucking pez dispenser of xanax so uh <laughs> We, we decided that we weren't going to tell you until right now. Yeah, we, we, we had to keep the secret, you know, we had to keep it on the down low. Okay, well, you know, unless you have something else that you think would be good to bring up for this movie that we haven't, like, really discussed. Uh, I know I did want to mention, I really like the scene that was, like, in the, the sex room where they're, like, finally getting the last sacrifice and they're about to kill Colin. And it's all done in that, like, deep red lighting. Yeah, I did like that. Um, I, I didn't like they the have, like, the, the red lighting earlier, too, when they were in the fuck dungeon? <laughs> yeah, they established that the fuck dungeon had, like, a red lighting thing. So it didn't seem all that weird when people are like flipping all the switches and one of them just happens to turn on the red lighting in the fuck dungeon. It felt natural. It felt good. It had already been established as a thing and it, and it looked good and, and you know it, it, felt, it felt good. I don't know. I liked it. Yeah. No, that, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, yeah, I think I've brought up everything that like but, you know, my, my enjoyments and my gripes about this movie, I think I'm good with it. I hope that the Hellraiser movies continue on the upward trend, because this is a one of the few examples of, like, recent Hellraiser movies that feels pretty solid to me. Well, I'm glad that uh, you've pointed out which ones are good to watch, because um, I definitely want to go back and watch some of this series. Or uh, I hope that they make another one, like, they, they have to. They're setting up for a sequel by making Roland a Cenobite, so I hope that they do another one and just, I don't know, maybe handle the lore a bit better. Or maybe the next one's... Uh -huh. the 
the comedy that we we hope so much for. The the wow. weekend at Cenobites. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, weekend at Pinheads, man. Let's see Weekend at Pinheads. Yeah.